0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to take a step back from the political headlines of the day, and there certainly are many of them, uh, to focus our show on Juneteenth, which for the first time will be celebrated as a national and Georgia state holiday. Um, that's never happened uh, before. And, and it's a holiday that, that there are some African Americans who over the years have um, marked the day as a day of celebration, but it hasn't been widely known, I think it's fair to say, even in parts of the African-American community and certainly not uh, among Americans in a larger way. So what is this holiday that has now become part of our uh, national holiday system, State of Georgia uh, commemorations? Um, and, And what does it tell us about the promise of freedom for Black Americans and the way in which the journey has gone in the years since Juneteenth. Um, let's uh, introduce the panel and uh, then we'll start our conversation. Jim Galloway joins me as he always does on the Friday Political Rewind. He, of course, the legendary former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jim, it's great to have you here. And and you know one of the reasons it's good that we're doing this show today is you have always been a student of american history and 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 georgia history so
0: this is this is a very yeah. important discussion that we're about to have
1: i i think you're right um, let me introduce the rest of the panel um, gavin godfrey is joining us uh, for the first time the editor of capital b atlanta um, gavin it's very good to have you here capital b has become a wonderful new addition to the digital news world of uh, Georgia, tell us just a little bit about what your mission is.
2: Hey, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim and Bill for uh, having me on. I would let you guys know that Capital B Atlanta. Um, our focus overall is we are a nonprofit local newsroom. We also have a national newsroom, and our mission is to center Black voices. So um, our whole goal is to focus our journalism on Black communities black people and kind of bringing news to black communities that we feel like they need that they're probably missing um, in mainstream and traditional media. So we are always looking to find opportunities to tell black stories in any way we can.
1: Thank you for uh, being here. Um, We also have Tiffany William Roberts back, Williams Roberts back uh, with us. She's the director of public policy at the Southern Southern Center for Human Rights. Tiffany, uh, we haven't had you for a while and it's awfully good to have you back on the show. Welcome.
3: Thank you, Bill.
1: I'm so glad to be back with you this morning. And finally, Kurt Young, chairman of the political science department and professor of political science at Clark Atlanta University, is with us today as well. Hello, Kurt. Good morning.
4: Good morning, Bill. I'm really happy to be here today. Looking forward to the conversation on this very important subject. Mm
1: -hmm. I want to start, if I may, by um, going back a little in history and framing up just the events that led up eventually uh, to Juneteenth, which is the day that many African Americans have, as I said for some time, celebrated as the real beginning of freedom for African Americans in the United States. But let's go back earlier than uh, that, because that day um, comes as a result of the Emancipation Proclamation, which was signed into law by President Lincoln in 1863. But to get a sense of what um, African Americans thought about freedom when they were enslaved peoples in this country, I want to go back to 1852. Um, Frederick Douglass, in 1852, was asked to give a speech in Rochester, New York, to the Ladies' Anti-Slave Organization, and it became one of his most famous speeches. He said in that speech, what does the 4th of July, the day that America has always celebrated its independence, mean to slaves? I want to play for you an excerpt of the great actor James Earl Jones reading just
5: a bit of Frederick Douglass's famous speech of that day. Here it is. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days of the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim to him your celebration is a sham
1: kurt um that was frederick words of frederick douglas on july 5th 1852 his speech to the ladies anti-slave society in rochester new york <laughs> and at that point in america pre-civil war america that was in fact a statement about what the lives of people of color were living, black people were living in this country. Yeah, it's a period of intense contradiction,
4: Bill. Right on the one hand, on the one hand, you hear uh, Douglas speaking to the um, speaking to the value of freedom in the context of the symbolism of the symbolism of the of the Fourth of July. Right at the very same time that we have those kind of conversations about the principles of freedom, we have a situation. Uh, in America at the time where, and this is in the er early 1850s where you're beginning to see the ratcheting up of of fugitive slave activity. These are uh, activities in the country where enslaved Africans are uh, either escaping or shifting, migrating to areas in the country where there's a perceived higher level of freedom only to be followed by the more intensity uh, in the uh, quote slave raiding or slave uh, capturing activities to return enslaved Africans back to those uh, uh, locations of bondage, right? And so you have this contradiction in American society where where freedom is being professed, but the opposite is being visited upon peoples of African descent. So what Douglas is trying to capture there is not only that contradiction, but he's also declaring what it means in the development of the African-American psyche and the way African-Americans see the country and participate in the country from those perspectives. Right, And uh, um, I I know we want to stay in the history, but you'll see a continuation of those contradictions uh, uh, moving forward in the way we not only understand race in American society today, but the juxtaposition of injustice on the one hand, as it it extends to African-American people and African-Americans attempting to enjoy the principles that are being professed. And I think that's one of the core elements of Juneteenth. Mm
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, Bill. I just, yeah, I just want to throw in here. Just, just the, the context here is is that when Frederick Douglass was was probably the premier oratist or, 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 or of the of, of the nineteenth century, but at that time he was a fugitive slave. He had escaped a, yes. a plantation in in Maryland, and he could have been at any point. At any point, he could have been gathered up and and hauled
1: south back into slavery. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Gavin, so if you let, let me, you're welcome to comment on that, but I'd also like to move forward our timeline a little bit. So that was the state of affairs in 1852, which uh, Frederick Douglass so eloquently uh, described. Uh, the Civil War begins. Uh, initially, uh, President Lincoln framed the war as a fight to keep the United States unified, to, to to force the South back into uh, the Union. But by 1862 or so, uh, it was becoming clear that there needed to be another rationale for why the war was being fought. And it was at that point that Lincoln, who had not been uh, an active uh, anti-slave uh, uh, politician, he had accepted slavery, began to think that It was important to frame the Civil War as a fight uh, to free the slaves, which, of course, led to his issuing the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st of 1863. So that was an important moment for uh, 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 black Americans and for all Americans, Gavin, Right. Yeah. I mean, I think um, and we'll, we'll,
2: we'll touch on it uh, a little later when we talk about some of the capital coverage we have. But um, I think um, the biggest thing was, yeah, there's been even today, I think people still debate, you know, right. What was the Civil War about? Was it about slavery? Was it about, you know, um, the South wanting to secede and all these different things? But I think um, it's, it's, it's very interesting because as we hear Frederick Douglass say, even Lincoln stepping in, even all these other um, Kind of white leaders speaking speaking out on the issue, uh, the people themselves didn't necessarily feel free. They didn't feel like this was, you know, their America, even with an emancipation emancipation proclamation, even with, you know, the kind of ambiguity of the mission of this war, what was was kind of the images behind it. Uh, So I think you'll see that continue. Obviously, I think Kurt mentioned it even today. Um, A lot of how Frederick Douglass and other folks felt, even leading up to and post emancipation proclamation, those feelings of kind of uh, being really out of the American citizens' citizenship loop are still still here for black folks in America
1: so Tiffany, the Emancipation Proclamation essentially uh, freed the slaves in the southern states in the confederate states, and um, as as word got as as union troops as as the American army uh, moved into uh, various southern states, including Georgia, uh, slaves uh, abandoned the uh, plantations where they had been held captive uh, and began uh, moving toward freedom, right?
3: Right. Uh, and, you know, we, we think about freedom in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, of course, with you know, f- being free from physical bondage being one of those things. But what we know is that um, American racism is highly adaptable and can be fashioned in ways to construct different, uh, changed. And so many of the promises that were made to formerly enslaved Africans were uh, quickly rescinded, um, short-lived, right? And we experienced tremendous backlash for seeking freedom. And so um, a lot of what we talk about at Southern Center is decriminalizing race and poverty because we realized that the criminal legal system, um, specifically in the American South, was built as a, as a backlash response. Uh, to the possibility and promise of what formerly enslaved Africans could have um, were they free. Um, and so I think it's interesting in Georgia, there's so much rich, rich history related to um, the end of the Civil War, uh, the end of Reconstruction. And I'm excited to talk more about that with you all this morning.
1: Yeah. And, and Tiffany, you did something really important that I'm awfully glad you did. You corrected something that I, you corrected a term I was using. I was talking about slaves, African-American slaves, they weren't African-American slaves, they were Africans, and, and it, you know, I was thinking of it in the current contemporary context, these were Africans who were enslaved, and the furthest thing from what their lives were, were that they were true Americans. So, Jim, let's bring this back to Georgia, as we just put our timeline together here. Um, General Sherman comes into Georgia, uh, and because of the Emancipation Proclamation, and because it was an inv- the Army, uh, the United States Army coming in and uh, fighting against the Confederate forces, uh, the slaves on Georgia plantations began leaving the plantations. And one of the things we know is that many of them began following Sherman as he marched from Atlanta down to Savannah and beyond.
0: Right, and we shouldn't we shouldn't pretend that this was a this was an invitation from Sherman. This was the last thing he wanted. Yeah. He was he was he was he was not a uh, I would not call him a a a a a, uh, a foe of slavery as much as a a, a foe of disunion. Uh, oh. I, I I don't think I, I maybe he had a few a few uh, black troops. Uh, uh, doing doing some guard duty but 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 otherwise he 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 did not employ any colored uh colored regiments uh at that at that point uh his track to savannah uh there was an incident uh before he got to savannah where 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 just many people uh, where where he pulled up the, the bridges the pontoon bridge uh, across, uh, I, I, is it was it the Savannah River? It may have been the Savannah River. I'm not sure. Uh, and in in a, in a bid to escape these these these, these former slaves, and uh, and and many of them drowned trying to cross, trying to keep keep up with him. Uh, so it was it was uh, it, it was uh, it, This is a this is a very nuanced uh, history that we have to tell, and so far we're not we haven't been doing a very good job of it. I don't think.
1: Um, I think that's right, which is one of the reasons that we really uh, wanted to do this show uh, today. All right. So, Kurt, um, we see that slaves uh, in the South, as, as the uh, United States Army retakes Confederate territory, are uh, freeing themselves, essentially. Um, but that isn't the case in Texas, which is what brings us to Juneteenth. It wasn't until... June 19th, 1865, that U.S. troops marched in to uh, Texas under the uh, leadership of Major General Gordon Granger, who on June 19th, 1865, uh, issues General Order Number 3. And it is that order which tells the people of Texas that all slaves in that state must be freed. And it is that date that we commemorate as Juneteenth today. Exactly right. Bill, please give
4: me just a second to connect my remarks on this point to Jim's important um, history sure. there. Um, just to kind of bridge from Georgia to, to Texas. Um, an important part of that Sherman uh, rampage, if you will, through Georgia, uh, ending up in the Sea Islands area or, or, or coastal Georgia area, was his issuance. You, you mentioned the general field on the three. Sherman also issues a field order. It's called the Special Field Order No. 15. And that Special Field Order dedicated a strip of land, essentially from the Carolinas down to Jacksonville, Florida, about 40 miles inland as uh, what may become uh, a free black homeland. And part of what came out of the Special Field Order was the declaration by informally enslaved Africans that this will be their homeland. Uh, They will demand the ability to uh, have access to the land uh to till the land to farm the land, and they will they will repay their debt in a way uh connecting themselves in a way to service in the um in the u s military uh that's where the famous slogan, 40 acres and a mule comes from all right?
0: mm-hmm.
4: There was no such type of expression in the general field order in Texas. What it was was a declaration that in in essence. Black uh, 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 African people in Texas had been freed by the United States government, and they now had the right to begin to, and I think we mentioned this earlier, to begin to enter into economic relationships with former enslavers uh, in a way that compensated them as workers. But listen to this point, but also made sure that they were maintained within a certain kind of social relationship with the society. Right. And that is the key. In essence, the economic relationship between the slaver and the enslaved was perceived to be changed. But the social relationship bill never shifted. And so the very same point that Tiffany's, I think Tiffany's work focuses on, um, becomes, in essence, a a, a replacement for the bondage. In other words, this position of domination, the position of exploitation, the position of sub. Uh, of subordination within the society becomes indoctrinated, not just in Texas, all over the country. Texas just seems to be the place in our celebrating of Juneteenth that we seem to elevate, right? But this is a pattern that takes place across the entire country. In some places, it's more intense than you would have in places such as Texas. But uh, I just want to emphasize the social relationship remains in place such that Africans who were trying to enjoy these freedoms find themselves at the, at the end of the same whip that was used to em, enslave African people
1: just, just a decade earlier. And I think that's where we're headed with our conversation. Um, Tiffany, uh, Juneteenth, which by the way is essentially shorthand for June 19th, uh, became known as Juneteenth. Um, it, it, it's always been fraught. This notion of freedom for then Africans uh, was always fraught. And, and if you follow that timeline... All the way back to Frederick Douglass's speech, uh, What is the Fourth of July to Slaves? Just a couple years after that, Abraham Lincoln, who is credited as the president who did supposedly free the slaves, had given a speech in Peoria, Illinois, which is one of his most famous speeches, in which he talked about the immorality of slavery in 1854. He said, if the Negro is a man, why then my ancient faith teaches me that all men are created equal and that there can be no moral right in connection with one man's making a slave of another. Okay, I point that out because, of course, Lincoln, through much of his presidency, did nothing to act upon that moral belief, and it just is part of that complicated history and the sort of resistance that white America really had to, in fact, get granting equal freedom, as Kurt just described, to blacks.
3: Right, and, and what, what we know is that in order for there to be any sort of repair or reparations for black people in this country, it will require a significant amount of sacrifice on the part of those who have inherited the massive wealth stemming from chattel slavery, right? So it's really easy for people to understand generational wealth that you pass down money. Uh, But when when it comes to the question of embracing uh, the moral imperative to afford dignity and freedom to everyone, if affording that dignity means that something must be given up, um, then it becomes a much more difficult question. And sometimes it's not just material wealth that has to be sacrificed. It is the admission that much of the things that some of this p- people in this country enjoy was, was earned on the backs of others. You know, so when we talk about Georgia history, my daughter, we were just in Savannah, and I took her down to the Riverwalk, and I explained who who laid those bricks and who built those buildings and why the steps were the height that they were, right? And she said, "Well, mommy, if if our ancestors built this, why do they only talk about Oglethorpe in our Georgia magazines at school?" Now, she goes to a Pan-African school, but they still teach some of the curriculum given by the state of Georgia, and and that is the question. We, you know, white Americans often want to own uh, the glory, but not the ugly past that has uh, has borne the fruit that they enjoy, and so. Um, um Georgia is so special. There's so, so much significant history because you talk about, I think you talked about 18, um, uh, uh, Lincoln's speech. But in um, 1858, shortly after that, the Wanderer was the penultimate slave ship that landed on American shores in mm-hmm. Glen County in Brunswick. And it was an illegal slave ship. But the people that we work with in Glen County, you had Elijah Bobby Henderson on your show are the descendants of an illegal slave ship that docked right on the shores of Georgia, just like Sherman's Order um, was signed in Georgia, and just like Ebo Landing, where, where would-be enslaved Africans killed themselves and came off the boat instead of being enslaved. And so, so much of that is, is resistance and acknowledgement of what is actually taking place.
1: By the way, just uh, since you mentioned Ebo Landing, um, our senior producer, Natalie Mendenhall, uh, did a wonderful story about Ebo Landing. Uh, Natalie, we should repost a link to that story and its significance uh, to what we're talking about today so our listeners can listen to it. But Gavin, weigh in on what we're uh, saying right now.
2: Well, what's interesting is, um, you know, for Capital B, we did a a partnership with Vox and one particular story we have actually talks about the fact uh, that essentially, um, you know, even going back as far back as the Constitution, the way that it was written, um, was to protect slavery, was to even in the instance of black folks getting to freedom, um, there's all these still protections in place to, to, systemically um, to discount that history, to negate those contributions that um, Tiffany is mentioning that, you know, are put in place so that No matter how much progress we feel like we've made ever since this kind of document was written uh, without any black folks having a seat at that table, um, it's been really, as we're saying, kind of hard to digest and really make sense of what freedom really is, right?
1: Right, Jim um and I know Kurt, you want to jump in, but Jim, we don't have to stick to this uh, timeline at this point really very very in a very disciplined way, but I do think that what what everybody on the panel has talked about uh, is it is important to point out that as as quickly Kurt has already talked about how social inequities continued economic there was more economic freedom, but the fact of the matter is that it didn't, wasn't long after the Civil war that uh, that uh uh, black Georgians among black people in many other states uh, were once again as Kurt said, uh, subjected to laws that uh, continued to make them second class Americans without the freedoms enjoyed by whites.
0: Uh, exactly and, and if I could build off of something that, that Gavin just said is, is and, and that's uh, if we and, and and kind of bring us, very quickly up to, up to up to this year. I mean the the, the, legislat- the Georgia legislature has officially recognized Juneteenth as a holiday and, and I, that's important. It, it doesn't sound important but it's important because it is de facto recognition of slavery, slavery as a central issue of the Civil War. And I know it's not a surprise to, to to the people on this panel that this is the case, but in, in, in political Georgia, it is that is still a contentious issue, uh, and 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 something that needs to be that needs to be addressed. The other part of that uh, of 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 naming that of, of the Juneteenth holiday is is it's kind of an invitation to ask what happened next. No, mm-hmm. and, and reconstruction in Georgia schools is one. It's 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 the, the least taught section period of history. I think in in uh, uh, in, in 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 all the cu- curriculum. It is it is a is a very very hard. It's very hard to find the teacher who, who, who addresses this in a straightforward manner. And, and and that of course brings us to this 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 whole uh, hysteria over critical race theory. Uh, and, 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 and
1: and and I don't mean to get ahead of the, of the program, so I'll toss it there. Well, we're certainly going to get into that and many other issues. Uh, now that we've set a timeline, it is time to jump ahead and talk about contemporary life in Georgia and the United States today. But Kurt, before we get to a break, I know you want to get a quick comment in, uh, and then we'll take our break.
4: Well, just really quickly, um, um, the, the, the academic in me uh, wants me to uh, suggested a very, very important book that grapples with the complexities of Abraham Lincoln in dealing with the, the enslaved African tradition in, 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 in the country. And the book is written by Lerone Bennett, one of the most important pieces he wrote before he passed away, uh, titled Force to Glory, where he deals with uh, these contradictions around Abraham Lincoln dealing with the race question.
1: All right. Um, thank you for adding that uh, comment. Uh, we'll We'll post a link to that book, too on our social uh, media, Kurt. Let's do this, let's get our first break of the show out of the way and continue our conversation about just what does Juneteenth really mean today? And what does it tell us about the complicated journey to real freedom for all Americans? You're listening to Political Rewind.
0: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
1: Tiffany Williams-Roberts of the Southern Center for Human Rights, Kurt Young, Clark Atlanta University, and Gavin Godfrey, the editor of Capital B Atlanta. By the way, uh, Gavin, give uh, people the URL where they can uh, read uh, uh, Capital B.
2: Yes, sir. It is atlanta.capitalbnews.org.
1: Thank you for doing that. And, Gavin, I want to start with you because you posted uh, on the Capital B, uh, the larger uh, website, there's a story today. The headline is, Juneteenth has gone mainstream. Should everyone be celebrating? So we're going to talk in a few minutes about where we stand in terms of social justice uh, in this country. But I think that's a good question to raise right now. Um, is this my holiday to celebrate as well as yours, Gavin? Well, that's actually one of the, uh, you know, very questions that is asked that the
2: organizers, kind of featured and highlighted in that piece is, you know, these guys were – Um, in missouri and they have their own juneteenth celebration and a non-black person approached them and said hey you know can i be a part of this celebration i always i just assumed juneteenth was only for black folks right and i think i think there's a quote from that guy who says you know therein kind of lies our problem we're not doing this the right way because yes we are celebrating you know a history of black americans but uh it is something that we want to be inclusive right why would we exclude anyone if that has been kind of our fight for so long, being excluded from everything in America. So, you know, I think the biggest thing for me, I would say, is yes, I feel like it's a holiday for everyone. Uh, but I think a lot of people, black folks um, and other Americans, are still trying to grapple with if that is the case or if that's how they kind of view this celebration. Uh,
1: thank you for that. All right. I want to ask you all a general question um, and, and I, I appreciate your giving us just short responses so we can move into some specifics about today. Um, Tiffany, what does Juneteenth in the broadest sense mean to you today?
3: Um, I think it, for, for me, Juneteenth re- means remembering that despite promises uh, from the government to my people, Um, It has been our responsibility to ensure accountability and that history is told in a way that allows our children to flourish. Is
1: that short enough? Kurt? Yeah, that was great. (laughs) Kurt? (laughs) Tiffany stole my thunder. (laughs) No,
4: for me, me, Bill, it is a, is a, a, a day of remembrance. It's not to me, and this is Kurt's position, it's not a day of celebration. Um, in the sense that we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate uh, these other holidays, it's a Day of Remembrance. Now, a part of our tradition in the black community has been to remember and reflect around barbecues, around cookouts, around uh, uh, get-togethers and, and, and family groundings and, and what have you. But in terms of it being a celebration, for me, um, others who would want to participate in Juneteenth uh, should also, as Jim was suggesting, uh, see it as an opportunity to engage in a very serious reflection about what happened. And it's not this is not anything um, fancy. You know, we have a Memorial Day every year, and we reflect yes, on those, those important losses. Um, yes. And we think about not only the cookout and the celebration, but we think about what happened uh, 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 to those individuals and those traditions that we we,
0: we celebrate. Jim. Yeah, when when I think of June nineteenth, I, I, I think of the delay. You know, I mean I mean I mean uh, Lee surrendered to Grant in April. Two months later slavery still existed in, 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 in Texas and it was kind of a, 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 a harbinger of 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 the things to come, how hard this thing would be to erase from, from, from our past and from our future.
1: Uh, Tiffany, when I think of June 19th, it takes me back to something, a point I think you made earlier in the show. I think of it as a promise only partially fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And I think when you talk about how from slavery to today, we, we are still dealing with the issue of the inequities in terms of generational wealth between white Americans and black Americans, that is one of the most, it seems to me, you've put your finger on one of the most important issues that divides us today.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, the ability to sustain your community, to feed your children, to educate your children, is absolutely critical to any vital community, right? And so if we are uh, constantly in a position where Even when there are promises, there are no policies instituted, and then even when there are policies implemented, um, there is just violent backlash to any progressive policy path, especially those that impact wealth. It it puts us at a disadvantage. I read somewhere in a USDA report that black uh, farmer land peaked, uh, our ownership of agricultural land peaked in like 1910. So I was raised by a mother who was raised by grandparents who had land. And we have such a steep decline in even land ownership to say nothing of home ownership. So what, on every Juneteenth for the last five years, we at Ebenezer Baptist Church and Southern Center have bailed community members out of jail for our Freedom Day bailout. This is before the commercialization of Juneteenth. And it's not only because we, we, we believe uh, that mass incarceration is wrong. It's because our communities also do not have the wealth to pay ransoms to be released from jail. And that is also something as old as our, our history of chattel slavery in this country.
1: You know, uh, Kurt, I think it's great to point out uh, black farmers at the disadvantages uh, that they've had. Um, we know that they have a harder time getting loans uh, than white farmers. But also, Tiffany mentions, um, owning your own home, which is a fundamental way to build wealth in this country. And we know that for decades, redlining, uh, has prevented African-Americans from being able uh, to get uh, mortgages for, for homes. Yeah, you know, Bill, one of the first major studies that I did
4: when I came to Atlanta uh, was to study redlining and its impact on the decline of six African-American communities right here in the Atlanta area. Um, I, 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 uh, and what, what my research found was that over the many, many years of redlining, it contributed directly to the uh, 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 to the decline of these communities, the distressing of these communities, and now I'm actually going to return to that study and to make the connection between what occurred with redlining in those communities and gentrification in those communities. Nice. And so there's a continuation of different forms of economic exploitation, economic subjugation uh, that are visited upon uh, African American communities and home ownership. Uh, home ownership or the lack thereof is one of the key expressions here, right? You know, we tend to think that everyone has a freedom to buy a home, right? And that's not necessarily the case. Uh, and, and also, um, in addition to the redlining red, red and its impact on home ownership, uh, um, it, you also see it having a direct impact on the quality of home ownership in communities here in the Atlanta area, right? So this is not this, this is a serious national problem, but this is a problem that's unfolding right here in the city of Atlanta. And um, for too long, we've, we've ignored it. There's an a, a interesting uh, study that was done uh, on it um, by Bill Dedman back in the 1990s, uh, and that was published in the AJC. Um, um, it'd be really interesting to go back and revisit what he looked at. And I use that as the basis
1: of my study um, years ago. On redlining? On redlining. Actually. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, more, Gavin,
4: importantly, more importantly, its impact yeah, on ahead. home ownership. More importantly, its yeah. impact on home ownership and, and, as an economic phenomenon, I should be clear, sorry.
1: Uh, that's fine. Um, I, I do point? want to turn to the politics of today, uh, Gavin. Uh, Jim Galloway has already mentioned it briefly, um, and I want to get all of you engaged in this part of the conversation. So in the same legislative session, that uh, the Republican-dominated legislature and Governor Kemp uh, passed a law making uh, Juneteenth a Georgia state holiday. Um, They also uh, passed laws that restrict how teachers can talk about race in school. And there are probably teachers who wonder, given the conversation we're having, there are nuances to our conversation that I suspect teachers in Georgia schools would now be afraid to share with their students because of the new law on uh, not teaching CRT, whatever the heck legislators thought that was when they passed this law.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you. If you look at Capital B's reporting, we've reported on the quote device concepts bills, uh, CRT, all of this. And I think what's like you're mentioning, what's really sad is that it's almost like one step forward, always ten steps back. You know, we are getting Juneteenth recognized as a state holiday by the GOP, but that's the GOP is trying to keep those ugly parts of history um, that Tiffany mentioned earlier. From being taught in our schools, you know, I think if we're going to give a full spectrum of American history, let's give the full spectrum. But obviously, that's not how our lawmakers in Georgia see it. And I think you know it's really um, tough to to be in a state where you know we're supposed to be thankful that Juneteenth is finally recognized, but there's so many other ways that uh, Black folks, Black communities, and our history are just completely negated. And I think that is something that folks are definitely going to be grappling with this weekend as well.
1: Jim.
0: Yeah, it's uh, look. It, it's it's very clear that that uh, that uh, school boards, uh, not just in Georgia but across the nation, have become the the latest stage of 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 kind of uh, uh, political uh, uh, turmoil and and uh, and CRT. It's it, it's just the tool. That's a tool. That's all it is. Uh, you know, I, I'm I am the father of a very good history teacher in Cobb County. Uh, and and we have we've had many discussions about what's, what what's, what, uh, what Republicans have been pushing and 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 just bottom line I, I think what we, the, the conclusion you have to come to is you teach as you teach, and and if there are reperc you know if there are repercussions then 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 that's go- that we'll take that as it as it comes, uh, but you cannot I, I mean. I mean, how do you teach Juneteenth without addressing slavery? How do you teach Juneteenth mm. without uh, identifying Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, uh, mm. the 1906 Atlanta riots, uh, mm. the, just the, 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 the rise of the second Ku Klux Klan on, on Stone Mountain? How can you teach any of that and not, ch- not touch on race? Race is central to 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 uh, to the discussion in Georgia and, and 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 across the country as well. I don't you know I, I don't want to give anybody a pass, but you cannot understand Georgia history unless you
1: really ador- uh, honestly address the, the issue of race. Jim, you called our attention to a a riveting uh, article published, I think, yesterday by ProPublica, the nonprofit investigative uh, digital news organization. And you talk about school boards. I say what they are is the new war zones in many counties in our state and others, because of CRT, because of misinformation and lies about uh, teaching uh, that white people should feel guilt over slavery, They're, that it, all of these things that we heard for months in the legislature and beyond. And Jim, you point out that a woman named Cecilia Lewis, who was a, a, a highly respected educator in uh, Maryland was hired in Cherokee County, among other things, uh, to do DEI work for the school system that it was time to to, um, address issues of inequality in the school system. And parents rose up and uh, fought her down on the basis of lies and misinformation about just who she was and what she wanted to do. And not only did she end up not getting a job in Cherokee County, Cobb then decided they wanted to hire her and the people of Cherokee kind of followed her over to Cobb and fought against Cobb bringing her in, and she lost the opportunity to work there as well. Jim, just tell us your thoughts as you read that article.
0: Well, it's – it's look, it's uh, – uh, the Cherokee uh, County School Board has been in turmoil for uh, – for the, as far as I, I know, the last 10 years. It has been a – it has just been a a, a – a, a flashpoint for for uh, uh, the far right on on, on the GOP. Uh, th- this woman, she, uh, she and her husband were were coming in from I think Maryland, uh, mm-hmm. where, she, where she where she where she was an, uh, she, she was principal of a middle school. This is you know we're not talking about a, a somebody straight out of college here. This is somebody with a very good resume, uh, and and it was Cherokee County's idea to uh to 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 elevate her into into this into this uh diversity position which came out of discussions with uh within the school board started by the school board uh uh, uh in in reaction to the death of George Floyd so there's you know there's a pattern here there's a pattern here that that you try to do, you try to uh you you try to address something and then you have the backlash uh in yeah, in in Cobb County, in Cobb County, we have a similar situation where we have I think there's seven members of the school board. It's a four three split. Republicans have dominated. They've 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 pretty much shut down every uh, Republican initiative, and uh, and they've made CRT
1: uh, a ban on CRT a central issue. All right. I got to get to our final break of the show. The article is remarkable. Here's another thing, Natalie, it'd be great if we can post on uh, social media because I think it's very telling. Uh, Let's get to our final break of the show. And when we come back, we'll have a little time to continue talking about Juneteenth and what it means to us today. Jim Galloway pointed out during the break that that piece in ProPublica is uh, written by Nicole Carr, who Political Rewind audiences have heard from. Uh, she's an Atlanta journalist, and again, it's really uh, an important piece to read. Um, all right, let, let's uh, uh, take one more step in terms of uh, the end of this conversation as we start to run toward, uh, move toward the end of the show. Um, Gavin, I, I think it's important to say that this commemoration of Juneteenth, the momentum to actually make it a national and a state holiday, in many ways goes back to the very hot summer in which George Floyd was murdered uh, by a Minneapolis uh, police officer. Uh, We look at Rayshard Brooks and the other uh, uh, police killings of black men. And, And so it is important probably, I think, and you'll tell me if you think I'm wrong, to say those awful events have at least given us this chance to say we've got to do a better job in how we address uh, our history and where we head next. A- am I right about that? Is there any optimism here? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say a lot, a lot of movement, obviously, um, happened after that unrest, after those, um, those killings. And I think um, it is safe to say that, you know, a lot of, Action was spurred by that, but what we've been talking about throughout is like the delay. When we think about June 19th, a lot of us think about that delay, and for a lot of things to happen for black folks in Georgia, black folks in America, something bad always has to happen, right? It's never like you know uh, lawmakers and everybody take it upon themselves to to do right by black folks. It's not until we have to uh, take this take to the streets um, and demonstrate over you know unjust killings of ourselves that. You know, it seems that governments and others rally to, to do this. So, I mean, are, is it can we not be optimistic? I mean, I think um, we can continue to have dialogues and talk about uh, what this really means. But I don't know that, you know, everybody is just hoorah, jumping for joy, um, ready to say, yay, you know, we've gotten what we want now um, because it came at such, a, such an incredible cost. And so I think that's yeah, cool. important to note.
3: Yeah, I, I would— I would chime in and say that the optimism that I have is really rooted in uh, the the things that change when ordinary people are willing to organize and force the issue, because it is an American tradition, again, to promise black folks stuff, you give it and take it away or not give it at all. Um, and that is, you know, even when it is black people leading government, we have government officials in Atlanta who attended. High schools in Atlanta named after some of our foremost thinkers, Frederick Douglass, Benjamin Elijah Mays, and they are on the forefront of perpetuating systems of mass incarceration, right? And so we've got to um, have hope in the community and our ability to save for, for to determine for ourselves what what we're demanding.
1: Uh, in what ways, uh, to give you a chance to talk about your own organization, is the Southern Center playing a role in trying to... Uh, to create a more equitable uh, society?
3: We do that on three fronts. Well, we sue government when we believe people's rights have been violated, but uh, the work that I do is in our policy unit where we work to implement statewide and local legislation or policy and support grassroots organizations interested in systemic change because we know litigation alone cannot do the job of decriminalizing race and poverty.
1: So what's an example of what you're working on right now?
3: Uh, so right now we are. Uh, we well, we worked really hard to defeat an anti-protester bill that was before the state legislature yeah. um, last session. We worked really hard to defeat a, with community to defeat a bill that would require uh, cash bail for all felony offenses. Uh, We work with uh, organizers in places like Savannah, Brunswick, Athens, who are interested in ending wealth-based detention. And we recently settled a lawsuit uh, with the Fulton County government about their treatment of of incarcerated women with mental health disabilities um, in their their jail. That
1: that anti-protester bill was really an important bill to look at because it was really a bill that punished what would punish the people who wanted to hold uh, rallies and marches, which in some cases did turn uh, violent, Uh, but was really aimed at uh, 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 marchers who were African-American and supporters of uh, uh, more equitable uh, uh, treatment for for black people.
3: Absolutely. Uh, So, you know, I always say our ability to bear witness and testify are two of the things that God gave us that, if taken away, makes it really hard to push for change. What that bill sought to do was to chill organizing and speech and truth telling.
4: Kurt? I was thinking about your question, and um, I think I'm going to split my answer. On, on the one hand, I am I'm, I'm optimistic because we have a long history of African-American struggle for freedom in the context of these contradictions, right? So we will have uh, the, the great strides taking place during Reconstruction that, that uh, um, Jim mentioned. We will have the great strides that took place in the civil rights and the Black Power era. Uh, Then we have these what appear to be some assumed to be great strides in the electing of Barack Obama and uh, Kamala Harris. However, after each of those errors, I'm not so optimistic about these cycles of history that we see unfolding. After the Reconstruction period, we have black codes being visited upon our communities. We have sharecropping, uh, the exploitation of sharecropping. We have the sheer violence of the Red Summer and and, and the lynchings that occur uh, that leads up to the civil rights movement. And then the aftermath of the civil rights and the black problem, where we have uh, the 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 onset, uh, the descending of of law and order regimes being imposed upon our communities, that will lead directly into the uh, um, to the in high incarceration rates that Tiffany just talked about, and and how that then leads to this 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 dismantling of some of the major steps forward in our communities, and then at the at, at the aftermath of Barack Obama and Kamala Harris and other steps forward we have what we see now. We have this, uh, uh, this kind of racial violence being imposed upon our communities, particularly in the case of black men. Uh, we are seeing what's happening with the uh, uh, CRT, which is uh, I don't consider to be cultural war, it's political war, right? That's in, in mm-hmm. efforts to try to reestablish the domination that
1: uh, we said uh, came after the declaration of Juneteenth. Jim, uh, weigh in on this. Where are you optimistic?
0: Uh well, I I have to I have to tie it to uh, to what's happening at the U.S. Capitol uh, this week and and, and next week. Uh, basically, what you've had the, the the situation that has arisen in Georgia and, and the nation since uh, uh, really since uh, since the era of Donald Trump is that you've had a Republican Party that has decided to become a base party, i.e., a a, a, a uh, to drop any pretense of being a a a, a biracial. Uh, 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 organization and and we see that I, what what we're seeing in in these january 6 hearings is that uh is that is the fruition of that that's and and i think if 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 it's if it's if we're lucky uh this will rock the gop in such a way that it becomes a it it it, it drops that portion of it, of its history
1: Um, Jim Galloway, you get the final word as we run out of time on today's Political Rewind, but I'm glad you mentioned the January 6th committee. Uh, The hearing yesterday uh, raised all sorts of new questions that we're going to talk about next week, particularly about Georgian and Georgians who got involved in the effort to subvert the election of Joe Biden. We'll hear from uh, about that story uh, in the days ahead on Political Rewind. Uh, that's it. We're out of time for today. Jim Galloway, Tiffany Williams-Roberts, Kurt Young, and Gavin Godfrey. For me, this was a really meaningful conversation. I hope I think our listeners will agree, and I hope for all of you it was as well. So thank you very much for being here uh, to discuss Juneteenth. Uh, a shout-out to Natalie Mendenhall, who took it upon herself to put this whole show together. Natalie, you continue to prove What a great person you are to have as our senior producer. That's it for us uh, for today. We'll be back again with a brand new show on Monday, the day before the primary runoff. Until then, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Stay healthy. Bye, everybody.